You are about to enjoy a presentation recorded at the 2021 Michigan Conference Camp Meeting held at Cedar Lake, Michigan. We pray that the Lord will bless you as you listen. Good morning, everyone. Happy Sabbath. I want to thank you for the opportunity to be able to be with you here at camp meeting. As Elder Mitch have mentioned, it's, it's been a while since we've been able to meet together like this. It seems like last year has dragged on and on, but finally we get to fellowship together, we get to worship together, and we get to come to camp meeting. And that's always an exciting thing. Um, it's good to be back in Michigan camp meeting. Not too many years ago, Amazing Facts did a special youth event called Amazing Adventure, and we did it during camp meeting time, and we were actually using the church just across the street. Pastor Doug was here and did a great series, a wonderful group of young people, and uh, we have a series that is being blessed or blessing many uh, as folks tune in and they watch it and they share it. And, but it's good to be back at Michigan camp meeting. Uh, Elder Mischief mentioned that Michigan is special for the Ross family. As he mentioned, my oldest son found his wife here in Michigan at camp. And my wife and I thought about that, so we sent our daughter there this year. Who knows what's going to happen? No, I'm just kidding. That's not really the reason. She'll get mad with me if she hears that. But she heard good things from her brother about uh, camp here in Michigan, and she said, I want to come, and so uh, we'll get to see you a little later on this week, hopefully. Our focus over the next few uh, meetings together is what I believe to be one of the most important present truth messages that God has given to the Adventist church to take to the world. That is the three angels' messages of Revelation chapter 14. So we're going to take an in-depth look at the three angels' messages because I think it's a message that not only goes to the world to prepare people for the second coming of Christ, but in a very real way, it is a message that brings revival to the remnant church. Now, Revelation chapter 14 is divided up into three parts. The first five verses of Revelation 14 is a description of a group called the 144,000. And if you're wondering about the 144,000, I want to encourage you to come tonight because that's our study this evening, the 144,000. And then starting in verse 6 of Revelation 14, you have the first of the three angels' messages. And then starting around verse 14, actually verse yeah, 13 is the end of the three angels, verse 14 is the beginning of a description of the second coming of Jesus. Jesus is pictured as coming in the clouds of heaven with a sharp sickle in his hand to reap the harvest of the earth. There is a harvest of the grain. There is a harvest of the grapes. The grain represents the righteous. The grapes represent the wicked. So three parts that we find in Revelation chapter 14. We have the 144,000, those who are proclaiming this three angels message. We have God's last warning message that goes to the world just before the second coming of Christ. So this morning, I want to begin with the last half of Revelation 14. We're going to talk about the second coming of Jesus. The sermon is entitled, Because Jesus is Coming. We find in Revelation chapter 14, verse 14, after the proclamation of the three angels' messages, Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud. And on the cloud sat one like unto the Son of Man, having upon his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. Jesus comes to reap the harvest of the earth. For three and a half years, the disciples had been with Jesus. They had come to love Jesus. They believed Jesus to be the Messiah. And they were hoping that soon Jesus would establish a kingdom here on the earth. So when Jesus told his disciples that he was to leave them and ascend to the Father in heaven, their hearts were filled with sadness. When Jesus looked into the faces of the disciples and he saw the sad looks on their faces, Jesus said these beautiful words, Let not your heart be troubled. If you believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, Jesus said, there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. 
And if I go and prepare a place for you, Jesus said, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Now, when Jesus gave this promise to the disciples, it was interesting in the way Jesus did it. You see, back in Bible times, when a young man proposed to a young woman and she accepted his proposal for marriage, the typical thing was to then go back and add a room onto your father's house. And when that room was completed, then with your friends and much pomp and fanfare, you would then travel to your bride's house. You would escort her back to the father's house where the actual wedding ceremony would take place. The newly married couple would then live in the room that was added onto the father's house while the young man would go out and build his own house. So when Jesus said to the disciples, I'm going to go to the father's house, and I'm going to prepare, prepare a place for you, and then I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am there you may also be. The disciples understood this as a marriage proposal. You see, Jesus is the groom. The church is the bride. And Jesus is preparing a mansion for his bride in heaven in the Father's house. And when Jesus comes, we get to go to the marriage supper of the Lamb in heaven. We get to live in those mansions for a thousand years. At the end of the millennium, the new Jerusalem comes down from God out of heaven, Revelation 21. The earth is finally cleansed and recreated. And the Bible tells us that the redeemed will go out from the new Jerusalem and they'll build their own houses. And from one Sabbath to another, all flesh shall come and worship before God. So Jesus says, I will come again and receive you unto myself. We're Adventists. We believe in the soon, literal, visible Second coming of Jesus. We have this hope that burns within our hearts, hoping the coming of the Lord. Now, because Jesus is coming, there are four things that I wish to emphasize today. The first is that we need to know God. Jesus said in John chapter 17, verse 3, and this is eternal life, that they might know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Jesus makes it clear. If you are to boil down what it is we need to do in order to have eternal life, Jesus makes it clear. He says, you need to know God. Not just know about God. Not just know the truths in the word of God. But if you want eternal life, you need to know God. You need to have a personal connection with Jesus. You need to enter into the presence of God. You need to get to know God. The Bible goes on. Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23. Thus saith the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man glory in his might. Nor let the rich man glory in his riches, but let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me. In other words, God says if you're going to glory, don't glory in your riches or in your power, in your strength. But if you're going to glory, glory in the fact that you know my heart. You know me. The greatest work that we as Christians can do, as Adventists can do, to get to know Jesus, to get to know God. Christ Object Lessons, page 354, we read, The value of man is estimated in heaven according to the capacity of the heart to know God. This knowledge is the spring from which flows all power. Now, don't miss that. That's an important point. How many of us want more power in our lives to live a victorious Christian life. We all do. We all want to live a victorious Christian life. We want to overcome. Revelation says to him that overcomes. We want to be overcomers. And sometimes we think that we need to work a little harder in our own effort to overcome, but here we are told the secret to overcoming 
is knowing God. Our work is to draw as close to Jesus as we possibly can. It is his work to give us the victory. Our work is to draw close to Jesus, to get to know Jesus, and just as surely as we do that, Christ will fulfill his promise within us, and he will give us the victory, and we will be overcomers. A number of years ago, past a friend of mine, we were at a seminar, and on our way home, he mentioned to me, he said, uh, do you mind if we stop for a few moments? There's a young man that I've been doing Bible studies with, and uh, he lives not too far away. Let's stop and uh, we'll actually meet a restaurant, and I want to finish up a Bible study I was giving him. I said, that would be fine. And so we stopped, and we sat down, and we were doing the Bible study with the young man. And uh, the subject that he was studying, that particular Bible study, was the Word of God and the importance of Bible study and prayer. And he was talking about how we ought to study the Bible. He was also talking about some principles related to prayer. And during the Bible study, the young man finally asked the question, he says, but but why do we need to read the Bible? He says, I grew up in a Christian home. I know what the Bible says. I've read those stories before. He said, why do you need to pray? After all, doesn't God know our hearts? Doesn't he know what we need? Why, why do we need to pray? Of course, the pastor gave him an answer. He said, well, it's valuable to study the Word of God. We want to fill our mind with truth. He said, even though God knows what's in our heart, it's our privilege to speak to God in prayer. But this conversation got me thinking, what is the focus then? What is the focus of Bible study? What is the focus of prayer? What's the goal? Well, during the Bible study, I kept thinking about this. And finally, when the study was over, we got into the car and we were driving back home. And suddenly the impression came upon me so strongly. I got so excited. I said to my friend, I said, I, I think I figured out what the reason is to study the Bible and pray. And he kind of looked at me with a funny look on his face. I said, could it be, could it be that the focus of Bible study and prayer needs to be bringing us into the presence of God? Could that be the focus of Bible study? Could we study the Bible not simply to fill our minds with truth, although that is important, but in the process of filling our minds with truth, could we be coming into the presence of Jesus. The purpose of prayer is not just to tell something that God already knows, but the purpose of prayer is to enter into the presence of God where we get to know the heart of God. You see, you get to know someone by being in their presence through fellowship. And I said to myself, I'm going to try this out. I'm going to start reading and studying the Bible, not simply to understand truth, but I'm going to read the Word of God, seeking to enter into God's presence through His Word. And I said, I'm going to pray not simply to do what I know I need to do, but I am going to pray to seek that sweet presence of Jesus, that peace that passes all understanding, to know God. Now, to be honest with you, sometimes you kneel in prayer and you begin to pray and, and you sense the presence of God very quickly. Other times, your mind is so filled with busyness and the activities of the day and the week that you need to spend longer on your knees seeking that sweet, sweet spirit, that peace, that joy. We've been told by the spirit of prophecy that Jesus would go and spend the entire night in prayer in his Father's presence, and Jesus would come forth empowered and energized and strengthened for the task of that day. There is power in the presence of Jesus. As those who are preaching the three angels' message to the world, we need to be people who are familiar with the presence of Jesus. We need to spend time in the presence of God, for that is eternal life. To the church of Laodicea, Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and I will dine with him and he with me. Of course, you understand the church of Laodicea in a very real way represents the church today. The church says she's rich, she's increased with goods, she has need of nothing. And Jesus said, You are poor, miserable, blind, and naked. 
Jesus says, buy of me gold refined in the fire. What is that gold? It's faith. It's love. How are we to obtain that love and that faith? It's by spending time with Jesus. That white raiment representing Christ's righteousness, both imputed and imparted. The eye salve represents the Holy Spirit, represents spiritual discernment. Jesus says, if you want the gold, if you want the raiment, if you want the eye salve, behold, I stand at the door knock. As we allow Jesus to come into our hearts, we receive more love, more faith, his righteousness, the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the answer to the church's lukewarmness, having Jesus come in. In John chapter 15, Jesus says, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abide in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do how much? You can do nothing. Four key things that we find in these two verses. Number one, Jesus wants us to abide in him. Abide in me and I in you. Secondly, fruit bearing. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, Jesus says. But notice point number three. Fruit bearing requires a miracle. The branch cannot bear fruit of itself. To have the fruit of the Spirit manifest in our life is not something that we can do in and of ourselves. After all, it is the fruit of the Spirit. But there is something that we can do. There is something we must do. And Jesus says, he who abides in me. You see, abiding does not require a miracle. Fruit bearing does, but abiding does not. God has given it to every single one of us. He's given us the ability to abide in Jesus moment by moment, day by day, through communion with Christ, we can abide in him. In their classic Steps to Christ, page 69, many have the idea that they must do some part of the work alone. They have trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of sin, but now they seek their own effort to live aright. But every such effort must fail. Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. He's coming close to Jesus, that we get to do the things that bring honor and glory to him. A wonderful story is told of Beethoven. One day he and a friend were walking home in the evening after dinner, and they decided to go through a part of town that they hadn't gone too many times. It was a poorer part of town, but on their way home, they were walking through those narrow cobbled streets, and they were walking along, and suddenly Beethoven reached over and grabbed the arm of his friend. He said, stop, listen, listen. And they, they both stopped and they listened, and sure enough, they could hear somebody playing a piano. And they walked a little closer, and they came across a, a little cobbler's door, and uh, it was old and run down, but they could hear somebody was playing a piano coming out of that little store, and they stood there and listened, and sure enough, it was Beethoven's song that was being played, but then finally, near the end of the piece, the music suddenly abruptly ended, and the voice of a young lady was heard saying, oh, I just wish I knew how it finished. Over that, Beethoven went over and knocked on the door, and to the surprise of the couple inside, it was a brother and his sister. The brother was, was the shoemaker, and, and here stood this man, and he said, I, I couldn't help but over here, you, you were wondering about how that song ends. Uh, he said, I, I'm a musician, and, and I know how the song ends. He didn't tell them who he was. He says, I might even be able to get you the music. And then in the candlelight, he looked, and he noticed that the young lady that had been playing the piano, she was blind. He said, oh, I'm sorry. She said, well, that's okay. He said, so you, you play by ear? And she said, yes. He said, but then how did, you, how did you learn the song? She said, well, we had a neighbor who used to play the piano, and I would listen, and I'd learn from her. But then, unfortunately, they moved away before I could learn the whole song. <laughs> she was frustrated. Over that, Beethoven came and said, well, well let, me, let me try. And he sat down, and, of course, he began to play. And they'd never heard anything like that before. Matter of fact, the friend of Beethoven who stood watching by the door, he said he had never seen such passion in the playing of Beethoven as he played for this couple, this brother and sister. Finally, by the end, they were amazed. And they said to him, 
Uh, sir, we've never heard that before. Sir, who are you? And with that, he was able to reveal himself. Apparently, he had a little signature tune that he would often play at the end of his song, and Beethoven played that tune, and they recognized it, and they said, Oh, the Master is here with us. And they were so overjoyed, he said, Well, let me do something for you. He said, I I've been working on a song. No one has heard it before, but let me play it for you. And as he began to play this song, which eventually became very famous, because afterwards he wrote it down, and they sat in awe as they listened to the musician play. And finally, when they were through, they were so delighted, he said, I'm going to come back. And he said to her, I'm going to give you lessons so that you can play all of the music that your heart desires. The friend of Beethoven said that he was so overjoyed because he was in the presence of people who really wanted him there, people that appreciated what he had to give. Friends, Jesus really wants us in his presence. Jesus is overjoyed when we come to him in prayer and we say, Lord, here I am. Lord, please give me that which you want to give me. Jesus wants to share himself with us. It doesn't matter what we've done. It doesn't matter the past. It doesn't matter how many times we've fallen. Jesus says, come unto me, all he that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus says, come. All friends, come to Jesus. This is not just a one-time invitation that comes from Jesus, for the Bible says, we must daily come to Jesus. Paul says, I die daily. Every day Jesus stands knocking at the heart's door, say, here I am. It's that time again I wish to come in. I, I want to dine with you. Yes, because Jesus is coming, we must know God. Secondly, because Jesus is coming, we need to be faithful. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3 and 4 says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itchy ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Jesus said, The time is coming when the devil will do everything he can to lead us astray, to lead us from Bible truth. In Matthew chapter 24, where Jesus talks about events connected with the second coming, he finishes that chapter by telling this parable. He said, Who then is a faithful and wise servant whom his master has made ruler over his household to give them food in due season? A couple things to note in this verse. Who is the master in the verse? That would be Jesus. What is the household in the verse? That would be the church. And notice it says, the master has given food to his servant to give to his household. Who do you suppose the servant would represent in the verse? Would represent the leaders in the church, the elders, the pastors, the Sabbath school teachers. Verse 46, blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, shall find so doing. Assuredly, I say unto you, I will make him ruler of all of his goods. But... If that evil servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming. Notice, Jesus is talking to Adventists here. He's talking to those who are looking forward to the soon coming of Jesus. They've been preaching about it. They've been longing for the coming of Jesus. But there is, there is an evil servant who says, my Lord is delaying his coming. We've been talking about the second coming of Jesus for over 150 years. The tendency is to say, well, maybe it's not as urgent as it used to be. Notice he, he does not preach this from the pulpit. He does not teach this in his Sabbath school class, but he says in his heart, the Lord is delaying his coming. And then verse 49 says, and he begins to beat his fellow servants when we forget why we are here. The work that Jesus has given us to do, we begin to smite our fellow church members, spiritually speaking, he begins to eat and drink with the drunkard. Revelation chapter 17 describes a religious power that is making all nations drunk with the wine of her false doctrine. To eat and drink with the drunkard is to adopt these false teachings and bring them into the church. Verse 50 says, The master of that servant will come in a day when he's not looking for him and an hour that he is not aware. 
Now, I don't think the second coming of Jesus is going to overwhelm the church as a whole. We know there are certain prophetic things that have to happen before Jesus comes. But could it be that the close of probation will find some who profess faith in Jesus to be unprepared when that time comes? After all, when probation closes, it's, it's too late. Immediately following this parable that Jesus tells in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus then goes to another parable, very significant parable for our time, in Matthew chapter 25. Then the kingdom of heaven, Jesus said, shall be likened unto ten virgins who took their lamps, and they went out to meet the bridegroom. Now in this verse, who do the ten virgins represent? It represents the church. Notice it says they are virgins, meaning that they hold to a true doctrine. They have lamps. The lamps represents the word of God. They are waiting for the bridegroom. That's the second coming of Christ. It says now five of them are wise and five of them are foolish. Those who are foolish took their lamps but took no oil with them. But the wise took oil with their vessels in their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, friends, that's where we are in this verse right now. We're waiting for Jesus to come. The Bible says there's going to be a tearing time. There is going to be a delay before Jesus comes, and, and that's where we are. It says they all slumbered and slept, and that parallels the experience of the church of Laodicea that we read about in Revelation chapter 3. But then in verse 6 it says, And at midnight a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming, go out to meet him. Now what is that midnight cry that is going to awaken the church? before Jesus comes. Well, we've been told what that is. In the spirit of prophecy, we've been told that God has given us a sign that was as sure as the sign that he gave to the Christians who were in Jerusalem when Jerusalem was surrounded by the Romans. You see, when we begin to see certain legislation being discussed, laws restricting religious freedoms, that will awaken the church like nothing before. People will go back to the Word. They'll say, we've been studying this. We've been preaching this for all this time. And sure enough, it's beginning to take place. There will be an awakening that occurs within the church. Verse 7 says, and all those virgins arose and they trimmed their lamps. They went to the Word of God. They began to study. But verse 8 says, the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil for our lamps have gone out. You see, friends, it's, it's too late. It's too late to wait until you hear rumors of a national Sunday law to obtain that oil. Now is the time to get to know Jesus. Now is the time to enter into the presence of God and say, Lord, give me of that oil. Fill my vessel with the Holy Spirit. Give me the Spirit. We can't wait, friends. This is the time that God has given us. There is a work that he's calling us to do. Verse 9 says, But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there be not enough for us and for you, but go rather to those who sell and, and buy for yourselves. And so the five foolish went off looking for oil. Let me tell you, friends, in the last days, there is a lot of counterfeit oil in the world. A lot of counterfeit Holy Spirit. The five foolish end up finding something that they think is oil. But it's not the real thing. Verse 10 says, And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were already went in with them into the wedding, and the door was shut. That great door of probation. And afterwards the other virgins came, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But notice this, but he said unto them, Assuredly I say unto you, What are those faithful words? I don't know you. Now, these were people that were Adventists. They were in the church. They had an understanding of Bible truth. They were able to prove the 2300 days of Bible prophecy. They could argue the truth of the seventh-day Sabbath. They held a true doctrine, but they were lacking in the Holy Spirit. They hadn't spent time in the presence of Jesus. Jesus says, watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour when the Son of Man is coming. 
You see, friends, at a time of widespread apostasy, God is calling for men and women who, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, will stand on that plain of Dura when the whole world bows to the image. And incidentally, Revelation 13 talks about another image that is established where God's people will need to make their decision for truth. Like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we'll have to stand before political powers and say, we are not afraid to answer you in this matter. For the God that we serve is able to deliver us from you, from your fiery furnace. But even if he does not, let it be known unto thee, O king, we will not bow down and worship your golden image. Friends, those three boys were able to say those words because they knew in whom they believed. They had spent time in the presence of Jesus. They knew the heart of God. They were filled with love for their Creator, willing to lay down their lives. They knowingly disobey God. And when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stood up for Jesus, guess what? Jesus stood up for them. And the king rose up and he looked into those fiery flames. And he said to one of his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the midst of that fire? He said, for lo, I see four men walking free in the form of the fourth. He's like the Son of God. You stand up for Jesus now. And Jesus will stand up for you. Now, of course, this call to stand is not just something that, uh, well, we're looking to the future to do. For the Bible tells us that even now we have the experience to stand for what is true. Amazing Facts has a uh, school for evangelists in different countries around the world. One of the schools that we have is in Indonesia. Now, Indonesia is the most densely populated Muslim country in the world. You think of the Middle East, but no, it's Indonesia. And uh, there is somewhat of religious freedom that we find in Indonesia, but uh, the Muslim uh, powers are, are tightening down on Christian groups. But we do have a school. We've got some young people that are studying the Bible, and part of their program is to actually go out into the community, and they knock on doors, and they give a survey looking for Bible studies in a Muslim country. A couple years ago, the director of the school came to our office in Sacramento and he told us an incredible story. He said some of the young people were out and they went to a particular area, a village, where they were going from house to house and they were knocking on doors, trying to do the survey with people. It began with a health survey and then would lead to religious questions. And uh, pretty soon word got throughout the village or throughout the town there that these were Christians. And of course, the Muslims did not like Christians going door to door. But the two young men went from door to door. They weren't aware about the hostility that was being stirred up by certain individuals in the community. They just kept every day going from door to door. And part of their routine was they would go from house to house in the morning, and then there was a little roadside cafe where they would stop for lunch. And they'd stop and they'd eat their lunch there, and then they'd keep going on from place to place. Well, several weeks after they had been working in that community, they went to the, the cafe where they'd eat lunch, and they sat down, and they started eating, and the owner of the store, he was sort of standing at the back. There were some other people in, in, in the restaurant there that were eating, and finally the other guests left, and the owner of the store came over to them, and he spoke to them in low tones. And he said, do you, do you boys know that there are people in this community who are very upset about what you are doing? And the young man said, well, I suppose so. And the owner of the restaurant, he, he said, no, this is serious. He says, they're planning to to beat you guys up and, and run you out of town. I was surprised by that. But then the owner of the restaurant said, but they're afraid to do it. So the young man asked, they said, well, sir, why, why are they afraid to do that? And then the restaurant owner said, it's because of that tall, strong man dressed in white that is always following you from house to house. The two young men looked at each other in amazement. They said, what tall strong man. They said, no, it's just the two of us. And the, the owner of the restaurant said, no, there's always this man that walks just behind you from place to place. They said, well, where is he now? And the restaurant owner said, well, he never comes in. He just stands out waiting for you guys to finish your lunch. 
they began to tremble. They looked at each other with amazement. Doubtless to say they left that mess, that, that restaurant, and they went about their mission with more confidence than they'd ever had before <laughs> because the angel was with them. At a time of widespread apostasy, Jesus is calling for men and women who will stand for the truth, though the heavens fall. Amen. People who know God. People who will stand for God. That's what God is calling us to do. Thirdly, because Jesus is coming, yes, we need to work. Revelation 14:6, and I saw an angel flying in the midst of heaven having the everlasting gospel to preach to those that dwell upon the earth, to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. Notice the three angels' messages have to go to all the world. And the question is, why do they have to go to all the world? Because the next part of the chapter talks about the second coming of Jesus that is going to affect every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. And there is a message of warning that needs to go to all the world, preparing the way for the second coming of Jesus. You see, God has raised up the Adventist movement to do a very special time, very special time of verse history, to do a special work in the proclamation of the three angels' messages. Now, let me ask you, do you have to be a Seventh-day Adventist to get your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life? What's the answer? The answer is no. What do you have to do to get your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life? Well, you confess your sins, you receive Jesus as your personal Savior, your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Now, who are the ones that the devil is trying to deceive? Those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life or those whose names are not written in the Lamb's Book of Life? Isn't he going after the ones whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life? Isn't it the devil's goal to get them to lose their way, to have their name blotted out of the book of life? Sure it is. Sure it is. So to get onto the road that leads towards heaven, we call that the book of life, you receive Jesus as your personal Savior. But as you're walking on that road that leads towards heaven, the devil is going to do everything he can to get you to take a detour that will lead you off that road and his detour doesn't result in heaven, it results in another place. And so just before probation closes, the devil is going to do a special work to try and distract and deceive, especially those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. You see, according to Bible prophecy, there is a detour just ahead. And unfortunately, the majority of the Christian world is going to end up taking the devil's detour. They're going to end up losing their salvation because they're going to end up worshiping the beast, receiving his mark. But God is not standing back just letting the devil do this, but God has set up a massive signpost where the road divides, a special message of warning telling people, watch out. Don't worship the beast in his image. Don't receive his mark. And that great signpost that God has established is what we call the three angels' messages. Is it important for the world to hear God's last warning message? Absolutely. Is it good enough for us to say, oh, they love Jesus. They're a Christian. Is that enough? Or has God called us to give them a message that will protect them in the last days from the devil's deception? Yes, he has. In Testimonies, Volume 7, page 19, we have this statement in a special sense. Don't miss this. Seventh-day Adventists have been set in the world as watchmen and light bearers. To them has been entrusted the last warning for a perishing world. On them is shining wonderful light from the Word of God. They have been given a work of the most solemn import, Proclamation of the first, second, and third angel's messages. There is no other work of so great an importance. They are to allow nothing else to absorb their attention. God has raised us up to do a special work. Proclamation of the three angels' messages. Now, you might think, wow, I don't know. That seems like a lot of work for a layperson, I, I, I don't have a degree in theology. How am I to be a part of the proclamation of the three angels' messages? 
Every single one of us have a part to play in the proclamation of God's end-time message. Number one, live the message. That's a proclamation of the message. Do what you can to share with family and friends. Be involved because there is no greater joy that we as Christians can have than the joy of bringing other people to Jesus. I was a little boy, probably, oh, I don't know, about eight, nine years old. I remember this so well. It was a Sabbath afternoon. I grew up in South Africa. It was a Sabbath afternoon, and uh, my parents were doing lay activities. You know, the kind of lay activities where you, you walk to the springs, the bed springs, to get some rest? They were resting on a Sabbath afternoon. They told myself, and my two cousins were there. They were about the same age, eight, nine years old, and they said, you boys, be quiet. Don't make a lot of noise. It's Sabbath. You can't be riding around on your bicycles. Take it easy. And so there we're sitting, wondering what to do, and uh, one of us, I forget which one, came up with the idea, and they said, you know what? We, we can be missionaries. Now, growing up in South Africa, if you want to be a missionary, the place to go is to India. If you grow up in North America and you want to be a missionary, you go to Africa. But we were in Africa, and so in our minds, for some reason, we thought missionaries go to India. But we thought, well, we can't go to India. We're just kids. And we thought about it a little bit more, and somebody came up with the idea. They said, you know what? Well, we could probably go tell the neighbors that Jesus is coming soon. We thought about it a little more, and we said, okay, yeah, we probably could do that. So there we were, dressed in our little Sabbath suits, and we put our Bibles under our arms, and there we went out, and my mother said she heard the back door close. She peeked out of the curtains, and she saw the three musketeers marching down the driveway. She said, Lord, be with those boys. There they go. And so off we went. We knocked on the door. The neighbor opened up the door, and we said, hello, we're here to tell you about Jesus. And we'd open up the Bible and we'd read John 3.16. Didn't matter where we opened the Bible. It could be Isaiah. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. We'd quote John 3.16. We'd close the Bible. We'd say, uh, we want to sing your song. And so we would sing, behold, what manner of love the Father has given unto us. We sang a little song and we said, thank you for listening. And then we went to the next house. It wasn't too bad. We are going from house to house and we were telling people about Jesus. We came to one house. And we noticed that something was happening because there were cars parked on the street and up in the yard and something was happening at the house. And we looked at each other. We said, well, should we go? Yeah, let's go. And we went and we, we knocked on the door. And the lady of the house, she opened the door and we said, hello, we're here to tell you about Jesus. And she did something that nobody else had done before. She looked at us and she said, oh, well, well, come on inside. And she turned around and she led us down into the, into the living room and we followed her in, and there inside the living room, it was crowded with people, and everybody was watching the television. Now, in South Africa, the big sporting game there is what we call rugby. And some of you are familiar with that. It's like football without the helmets, and everybody's there, and they're all staring at this television, and they're watching this rugby match. And the lady said, uh, uh, these boys are here to tell us about Jesus. Of course, nobody looks at us. They're all just staring at the TV. Well, my cousin, Ashley, he's the brave. When he walks over, he turned the TV off. <laughs> well, that got everybody's attention. And when we saw the look on their face, we realized we needed to make this quick. So there we stood in front of the TV and we quoted John 3.16 and we sang our little song and we said, thank you for listening. We turned the TV on. We bumped each other. We said, let's get out of here. We left the living room and he walked down the hallway and we opened the front door and we started down the stairs and... We're like, phew, glad we got through that one. And suddenly we heard a voice behind us. It was the lady that had invited us in. She said, boys, boys, wait, come back, come back. We turned around and we marched up the stairs. And I remember, just like yesterday, standing on her porch, looking up into her face. And there were tears just rolling down her cheeks. And she said, boys, thank you so much for coming to my house to tell me about Jesus. Right there and then I said to myself, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. I want to tell people about Jesus. Friends, there is no greater joy than bringing somebody to Jesus. Now, I know there are many of, of you out there who have had that joy of bringing a friend, a neighbor, a family member to Jesus. And once you've brought one, you want to bring another. And you want to bring another and another. But perhaps there are some sitting out here today, you've, you've never had that experience. You've, you've never really had the opportunity or you've never really been able to bring someone to the foot of the cross. 
You've never had that joy. Well, friend, ask Jesus to give you that opportunity. Ask Jesus to give you the opportunity to witness to a neighbor or a co-worker or even a family member to bring someone to Jesus. That's what being an Adventist is all about. It is bringing people to Jesus. Oh, friends, because Jesus is coming, we don't have much time left. We need to work. And then finally, because Jesus is coming, let's never forget that the best is yet to come. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 9, But it is written, Eye has not seen, nor ear heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man the things that God is preparing for those that love him. Hebrews 11, By faith he, Abraham, dwelt in a land of promise, as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of that same promise, for he waited for a city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Whatever trials or difficulties we go through here on this earth, it's nothing compared to what Jesus is preparing. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. On that day when Jesus comes, families will be reunited. Friends will meet again. Oh, with Jesus, the best is yet to come. In the early 1900s, there was an old missionary who had committed his whole life to service in Africa. The time had come for him to finally go home. He had buried his wife there in the mission fields. His children had worked, but they had moved on. He was alone, and the time had come for him to go back to America. And so he gathered up his few belongings, and he, he went to the harbor, and he boarded the ship that was sailing from Africa to New York City. Well, it just so happened that that was the same ship that the president, Theodore Roosevelt, was also on. He had just finished a hunting expedition in Africa, and he was, he was on his way back as well to the United States. Well, as you, as you can imagine, the focus of everything on that trip was all about the president. And the old missionary alone was observant of all of these things and everybody that wanted to meet the president and visit with the president. And finally, when the ship made it to New York and came into the harbor there, you can imagine just the pomp and the fanfare. There were, there were bands waiting on the shore. There were all kinds of military people that were there and and when the time came for the president to, to deboard the ship, the band played and the crowds followed and the president left the ship and everyone was waving and what a wonderful welcome for the president. And the old missionary stood on deck waiting for things to quiet down and he picked up his bag and got at the ship. There was nobody there to welcome the old missionary. So he went and he found a place to stay and he went upstairs. It was time to go to bed. It was in the evening. And the old missionary got ready, put on his pajamas, got ready to get into bed. And as he had done for so many years, he knelt beside his bed and he, he started to talk to Jesus. Now, this old, this old missionary was, was not a stranger to Jesus. They had spent many hours talking together. And this old missionary, he, he spoke to Jesus the way you would talk to your very best friend. And the old missionary, kneeling beside his bed, he said, Lord, I, I, don't, I don't want to sound as though I'm complaining, but Lord, it just doesn't seem fair. He said, I've spent my whole life in service for the kingdom. He said, I buried my wife in Africa, and Lord, finally it's time for me to come home. And why, Lord, there's, there's not even one person to greet me. Even my kids didn't come to see me. Lord, it, it just doesn't seem fair. And the old missionary was kneeling there beside his bed, just complaining a little bit to the Lord. But then he heard that still, small voice, that voice that he knew so well. The voice of the Spirit whispered to his heart as if Jesus was saying, But son, you're not home yet. 
You're not home yet. It was as if the Spirit was saying, Son, wait for the welcome when you finally get to go home. Wait for the song that'll be sung. Wait for the glory that'll be revealed. You're not home yet. You're not home yet. Friends, we're not home yet. There is a work to do. There is a mission. There is a message that must be given to the world. There will be trials and difficulties and hardships, but Jesus says, you're not home yet. I am coming. I'm coming soon. I'm coming to take you home. There's a man in yonder glory I've loved for many years. He has cleared my guilty conscience and banished all my fears. He's coming in a moment in the twinkling of an eye, and when the dead in Christ arise to the world, I'll say goodbye. Are you ready, Christian, ready for the shout, the trump, the voice? Will his coming make you tremble or cause you to rejoice? Are you daily walking with him, taking to him all your cares? Are you living so close to heaven that when he comes, he'll take you there? Yes, friends, we're Adventists. And because Jesus is coming, we need to know God. That's a personal work that we have to do. Because Jesus is coming, we need to be faithful to his word. Because Jesus is coming, we have a work to do, the proclamation of the three angels' messages. And because Jesus is coming, the best is yet to come. Amen? Amen. God, give us strength this week as we look at this glorious message that God has asked us to take to the world. To listen to more of these presentations, you may visit the audio archives at misda.org/audio2021 or search for Michigan Conference Camp Meeting wherever you get your podcast.